Welcome to the journal.ie's The Explainer, where every week we take a deep dive into a different news story. I'm Sinead O'Carroll, and this week, how Ireland may be about to legislate for assisted dying. Gino Kenny, a People Before Profit TD, believed his Dying With Dignity bill would start conversations he felt Ireland needed and was ready for. His fellow deputies, though, at Leinster House were more ready than even he had anticipated, putting his legislation on track for possibly being enacted. In a letter to the Irish Times this week, Kenny said, The debate itself has only begun and the bill will be scrutinised at length by the Joint Oireachtas Committee on Justice and Equality over the next few months. That committee will hear from patients, medical practitioners and the general public. Kenny wants it to be a frank and open debate on this profoundly difficult subject matter. So to discuss what lies ahead in this conversation, I'm joined by our journalist Stevie McDermott, who has been following the developments on this very closely and writing a lot about it for the journal.ie. Thanks for joining us, Stevie. I guess for some, this seems like a massive fundamental shift in what has happened and it's kind of come out of the blue. Has it? Uh, I suppose this comes a bit of a surprise um, since Gino Kenny only tabled the legislation there about six weeks ago in September. But it's an issue that's been bubbling away behind the scenes over the last you know, 20 or 30 years going back to the decriminalisation of suicide in 1993. And there was two high profile court cases dealing with assisted dying in the kind of last decade or so. But uh, politically, it hasn't really been much of an issue until, as I said, Gino tabled that bill there in September. Just a technical question before we get into all of that background. Can we just explain to people what the difference between assisted dying um, or assisted suicide is and euthanasia, which that term people will also be familiar with? Yeah, so I guess all of those things that you're talking about there deal with a medical process using to help someone to end their own lives. But within that, it's kind of split again. So assisted dying is where the person who wants to die takes their own life and euthanasia is when a doctor um kind of administers them with the, with the medication that does it for them so the way that people talk about this is that it's like who acts last so in assisted dying it's the person themselves who acts last and in the euthanasia it's a, a doctor who does it you think of you know classically of um euthanasia um you think of somewhere like dignitas in switzerland you know these these clinics where a person can go and uh, have have the treatment done to them but the, this legislation is nothing like that it would only be uh, uh, uh something that would allow the person to uh, in the vast vast majority of cases uh, to take their own life and you've um talked about language in some of your pieces for the journal assisted dying and assisted suicide i note the hse say assisted suicide so is assisted dying and assisted suicide interchangeable in terms of what they mean um in relation to this piece of legislation fundamentally yeah they are the same thing but uh, i guess the usage um crops up where um someone is in favor or opposed to uh, the process is known as assisted dying. So proponents use the term assisted dying and opponents generally tend to use the term assisted suicide. And the reason proponents use the term assisted dying is because they see it as a medical procedure. Yeah, because the legislation around suicide is part of the background to all of this um, because it used to be illegal. Can we look into the background and, and where that relates to assisted dying and where we are right now in the debate? Yeah, I mentioned there earlier that um, we decriminalised suicide in the early 1990s and as part of the Criminal Justice Suicide Act that uh, did that, Section 2 of that Act criminalised anyone who aided or abetted someone to take their own life. 
Um, and that was seen as non-controversial at the time. It was seen as very much, a, you know, you know, you wouldn't want a situation where, again, to use a phrase that has, has been used in, with other social issues recently, that would, that would open the floodgates or help people take their own lives on demand. But there wasn't really much discussion around it for a long, long time um, until essentially the, 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 the start of the last decade, 2013, a woman called Marie Fleming, who was a lecturer in UCD who suffered from multiple sclerosis, uh, took a high court case based on her right to die. So this is kind of, if you think of during the abortion referendum, we had the idea of the right to life and she argued that she had a right to die. Um, and that's section two of, of this Criminal Justice Suicide Act that prevented people from aiding and abetting people to take their own life was invalid under the constitutional and incompatible with the European Convention on Human Rights because she was in pain and because she was suffering. Um, she had said to her partner, Tom Curran, that she wanted to go to a Dignitas clinic in Switzerland to end her own life, but that the problem rose that if he helped her to do that, because she wasn't able to do it for herself, that if he helped her to do that, uh, he would be charged under Section 2 of uh, uh, the Criminal Justice Suicide Act with aiding and abetting her to take her own life. Um, Supreme Court rejected Marie Fleming's uh, argument, said there is no right to die within the Constitution. But this Section 2 issue didn't go away. It came up again, um, actually later that year in 2013, uh, a woman called Gail O'Rourke from Tallaght in Dublin was, uh, was the first attempted prosecution under Section 2 of the Act because she allegedly helped her friend Bernadette Ford, who was also a uh, multiple sclerosis patient, end her own life. So the allegation was that Gail O'Rourke ordered a lethal dose of barbiturates from Mexico, which were then later taken by Ford to end her own life. The case was heard in 2015 in the Criminal Courts of Justice and she was found not guilty. Um, but it did kind of kickstart with the Marie Fleming case, a conversation around whether the Section 2 of the Criminal Justice Act was, um, you know, a, a appropriate, whether it was denying people rights and whether we should allow people who are um, um, suffering like Bernadette Ford and like Marie Fleming were to take their own lives. And so did that get as far as trying to legislate either with a bill like this or with changing that assisted suicide clause? Yeah, so um, almost immediately after the, the, the Gaylor or Gaylor Rook was found not guilty in 2015, um, the independent TD John Halligan uh, tabled what was also then known as the Dying with Dignity Bill, which was, which was a 2015 version of it. Um, so he actually specifically name checked Marie Fleming when he uh, when he tabled the bill. Um, he kind of raised her plight with Tisha Gander Kenny in the doll. He mentioned it to Eamon Gilmer at one point when Marie Fleming's case was still going on. And, and uh, when Halligan brought his bill before the doll, he actually told his own personal story in dealing with the idea of someone who was suffering as well. He said his own father had suffered a stroke eight years previously and had had a terrible existence um, in the final years of his life. So it was really, really personal issue to Halligan you know, arising out of this uh, uh, social context of questions around Section 2 of that Act and, and, and looking at the cases of Marie Fleming and, and Bernadette Ford. The bill is actually largely the same. I mentioned it's got the same name as um, the Dying with Dignity Bill, um, and it's actually pretty much the exact same bill. If you were to look at the two bills side by side, you see the same things within them. So there's things like conscientious objection from doctors, there are the, the way a person makes a declaration that they want to, to, to end their own lives, uh, the role of a doctor in, in kind of providing that medical option for them. Literally, the only thing that's different between the, the, the two Dying with Dignity bills is that one says 2020 and one says um, 20, uh, 2015 on it. The bill never really went anywhere. This is kind of November 2015 when John Halligan 
uh, tabled it. And if you remember, February 2016 was when we had a general election, um, at which point Halligan then became a junior minister. And because he was a junior minister, he couldn't progress his own bill because he had tabled it while in opposition. So he kind of canvassed around and saw, sort of sought people, or would they table it for him? But it sort of never really went anywhere and, 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 and kind of just went into the background. But the following year, in November 2017, the Oireachtas Committee on Justice and Equality announced that it was going to discuss the right to die with dignity. Um, again, kind of arising out of the social context and, and Halligan's bill and uh, you know this question that just really wasn't going away. So the committee heard from opponents and proponents of assisted dying. You know, there was advocates, there was doctors. Tom Curran, who was Marie Fleming's partner, was there. Uh, and the following year, in June 2018, it published a report urging the Oireachtas to kind of consider the issue potentially in a special committee, but first of all saying they should refer to a Citizens' Assembly for deliberation, which is what had already happened with uh, the abortion legislation a few years previously. So you've said Gino's legislation is, is pretty much the same, but how would it work in practice if it did go through all of the motions in the next year or so and it, it was enacted as, as our law? What would, what would happen to people who did want to avail of assisted dying mechanisms? Yeah, so I guess the, the first and most important point is that this bill is kind of deals with people who are terminally ill only. So if you if you know if you have a chronic condition that isn't isn't necessarily going to end your life, you couldn't avail of this. So it's it's very, very specifically for, you know, someone who has a terminal illness diagnosis. In that case, the person would then have to go to their doctor and say, I want to avail of medical assistance in dying. And so the doctor would assess whether their illness was terminal, which seems, you know, like you know, something that would be, you know, kind of obvious, but actually, if for this, you know, a safeguard that's in places in this bit is that the the person to whom the patient requests the uh, medical assistance dying has to assess that they are, you know, terminally ill. They then have to get a in, an independent doctor, so someone who is, you know, does not work within the, their same clinic, is not related to them, is not a friend, is not known to them, to also assess that. And both doctors also have to assess the person's capacity to make that decision. So they have to make sure they're of, you know, uh, sound mind, and that they're, they're not being coerced into making it. And then the fourth person who has to sign this de- or sign this declaration or co-sign it is a witness that, that the person knows. And the person who is a witness cannot benefit from the person who is requesting a medical assistance in dying state. So it can't be, say, a you know a family member who's named in the will or someone who was you know living on their property and poten- potentially can uh, claim property rights after their death. And then, then after that, there's fourteen day waiting period. So the very, the very minimum that a person has to wait, you know, after signing this declaration, is two weeks. And at any point in that process, any of the four people who signed it, whether it's the patient themselves, or if it's the witness, or one of the doctors, can revoke their signature. And they don't have to do that in writing. They can just, they can just inform the powers of be that actually that they're not really comfortable having given that declaration. And then, the, you know, within that time, that the person then can't avail of medical assistance and dying. When you speak about terminal illnesses, is there a time frame put on that by the medical community? If if someone is terminal, is there a specific number of months, years, weeks that they must be within to be able to avail of this? At the moment, there isn't. Now, this might be something that gets teased out in, um, you know, the Oireachtas Committee later on. But, you know, uh, currently within the bill, there's no real provisions. A person just has to be seen, you know, judged to be suffering and have an illness that is going to end their life. But, um, you know, if the person signs a declaration and gets the other three people to sign it and waits the 14 days, the person could die in a year. It could be two years. It could be five years. But... Uh, there's, there's no current time limit on it, no. 
In terms of the opposition to this bill, Stevie, what are the main criticisms that are levelled at it? First of all, there's kind of, you know, the obvious um, ideological considerations where people think that, you know, it's not okay for a doctor to assist someone to end their own life, um, given that medicine is supposed to heal people or is supposed to, what what's the first principle of the Hippocratic Oath, you know, do no harm. So people are kind of sceptical about whether this is something that should be allowed in a medical uh, setting. There's also kind of social issues. So people think that it will undermine palliative care, that once you have a system whereby people who are terminally ill can avail of medical assistance in dying, that there'll be no need for palliative care. You know, they some palliative care groups feel that bringing in this legislation will, will, will undermine the role that they play in society. Others, uh, the rural independent TD, Peter Fitzpatrick, argued in the doll that, you know, you it's kind of contradictory for a government to argue that suicide in a, in a mental health scenario is never an option and that we should aim to, you know, uh, prevent suicide and give people mental health supports that they need. But in a medical setting, uh, you know, it, 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 it is that it is an option for terminally ill patients. And um, so, so there's some people like Peter Fitzpatrick who see a contradiction there. Um, others who like the anti-TD, Tobin worry that, um, you could essentially open the legislation uh, up once it goes through. So this is the argument that's known as a slippery slope argument. So as I discussed, it's only available or would only be available to terminally ill people at the moment. But actually, the argument the, the likes of Palatobin uses is that down the line, you could have, you know, people who are not terminally ill. You could have, you know, a situation like you do, say, in Belgium or the Netherlands, where people who are under 18 can potentially uh, avail of medical assistance in dying. And then there's questions about, you know, whether, how do you, how do you judge someone's capacity? You know, how do you judge if someone isn't truly, you know, or isn't truly within their own right mind to, uh, to make a decision to end their own lives medically? So there's a lot of kind of moral and ethical considerations at play here. And, and you know, it's not just as simple as saying that, that, that all opponents fall within, under one heading. There are a wide range of them as well. You mentioned Belgium and the Netherlands there, how their regime um, differs a lot from what is proposed here. Is there any country or a region that has something quite similar and how does it run there? I guess the place with the most similar legislation is Oregon in the US. Um, so like Ireland, you need two doctors to sign off on us. You need, a, it's actually two witnesses, but uh, one of them can't be a family member. So it's like the safeguard that's in place here that a person can't, you know, the witness can't benefit from uh, the person's estate. You have to be resident in Oregon. Uh, and there's also the minimum 15 day, which is kind of very similar to the 14 day period here. So yeah, that would be the one that's kind of most similar to Ireland's proposed legislation. And there's similar debate happening in New Zealand, is that right? Yeah, there's funny that this kind of cropped up in Ireland, you know, in the last month or so. There's a full referendum happening in New Zealand on Saturday. So uh, the New Zealand Parliament uh, legislated for what's called the End of Life Choice Act last year, but they didn't fully pass the legislation because they wanted people to um, decide on it essentially in a, in a, in a national plebiscite. Um, and that's happening this Saturday. So like Ireland, that would give people with terminal illness the option of requesting assisted dying you must be over 18 you must be resident um you talked there about whether there was a time limit in the irish legislation there is in new zealand um so it's a terminal illness that's likely to end someone's life within six months but the crucial difference with what they're proposing as well is that um you don't need a witness to sign off and you just need um the person's doctor and an independent doctor as well so uh, again it's a slightly different version of what's being proposed here 
Let's go back to what actually happened in the doll last week. Because um, as I said, it was a surprise to many people, um, even to Gino Kenny himself, who who was the author of the bill. Can you explain kind of the ins and outs of it and how we got to a point where we are um, at committee stage with this bill? Yeah, so this is kind of like a sort of long and winding narrative within itself. Um, as I mentioned, Gino launched the bill in the middle of September. And at the time, he really called on all of the you know government parties to allow a free vote on this so we saw conscience votes and with things like the abortion legislation which was you know a huge issue to society and gino's argument uh, at the time was that like this is a, you know a, a, an issue of conscience with similar magnitude and he asked the government parties to to allow their their tds to vote on it how they like so the way votes in the doll usually work just for those who don't know is that uh, parties are generally what's called whipped so they have to vote along party lines and the party will decide Usually, in the case of if it was, you know an opposition bill like this was that you know to vote against the opposition uh, bill, so Gina was essentially looking for that system to be opened up, which is kind of crucial in the end. But we'll get back to that in a second. So the bill was launched, and there was kind of a, you know a, a bit of notice taken of it. But the week after it was launched, the Green Party leader Eamon Ryan was asked by. Gino, whether he would allow a free vote in the doll, and Eamon Ryan said he would, and that was the first kind of moment everyone stood back and thought, "Well, we could have a, we could have a, a situation where this maybe doesn't pass, but it's close to passing because we now have a, a party that was is within government saying that they will allow a free vote in it." Now the Green Party is only twelve TDs, and you have over sixty in both the other two parties, Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael. But after Eamon Ryan said he'd allow a free vote in it, there was kind of a parliamentary party meeting of Fianna Gael. And TDs and senators there, they basically made a case to uh, uh, Leo Radker that you know that there should be a free vote on this. And Radker himself kind of remained a bit coy in it for a while. And there was kind of similar um, move being taken in in, in Fianna Fáil. It was kind of people didn't really know whether it was indication that there would be a free vote, but people didn't really know whether it was going to happen. And so what happened after that was the government tabled an amendment. This is this is kind of their compromise that said, okay, we we we, or we would allow a free vote in this, but. They wanted to amend Gino Kenny's bill to send it to an Iraq to special committee. So an Iraq to special committee would be something that is specifically set up that would have TDs look at this bill, you know, really, really, really in depth. So I mentioned earlier the abortion uh, uh, legislation that went to a special Iraqis committee. Um, you know, you had you had submissions over a course of, you know, kind of, a, 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 you know, a much longer time than you would have in a normal committee. Um, it's, a, it's a much longer term thing. We had the COVID committee this year as well, which is kind of where uh, rather than looking at COVID-19, the health committee, which is, you know, uh, traditionally where it might go because COVID-19 was such a wide, uh, 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 you know, wide reaching thing across society. It was seen as, you know, better to have TDs you know, kind of all parts to be able to look at it. So anyway, the uh, government amendment was tabled, but this free vote issue was still kind of uh, 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 being discussed. So it came out just before the vote that the government would uh, whip the cabinet only. So only cabinet TDs would have to vote for the government uh, amendment and everyone else would be given a free vote on it. So when last week's vote came, uh, the amendment was voted on first and because it was only cabinet TDs that were whipped on it, uh, the majority of Fianna Fáil TDs voted against, or non-cabinet, voted against the amendment and the amendment fell. So that led um, Gino Kenny's bill completely, you know, with no amendment to go straight to committee stage, no special committee, no, as he said himself, kind of kicking it down the road in the longer term, it would, it would, it would come much sooner. Um, that left that open to a vote among all TDs and it passed by 81 votes to 71. So the bill is essentially now going to committee stage um, 
probably in the early spring. And that committee then is just the normal committee. That's the justice committee. Yeah, it's justice and equality. So like it's it's interesting because, you know, this is a health issue. There was kind of some speculation at the start as to, you know, whether this would go to the health committee or whether it go to the justice committee. But yeah, it's, it's, it's the committee on justice and equality. And what will happen then at that stage? So it will probably be not unlike the Oireachtas committee that we saw that I referenced earlier in when the Oireachtas Justice Committee looked at the issue of assisted dying, you know, in 2017 and published a report in 2018. We're likely to have, you know, experts will come in and give their views on it. There's also likely to be a number of amendments to the, to the legislation table. So when we discussed there, you know, you asked me if there was a time limit on this uh, legislation. I said there wasn't, but like it, it could transpire that uh, an, a, an amendment uh, comes out of this, you know, a Rockdus committee scrutiny of the bill that will say, OK, well, actually, we need to, to say whether someone is going to die within a certain amount of time, that that needs to be put on the, leg- on the legislation. So the committee will kind of weigh up all these issues and potentially table all these amendments and then later on down the line they will be voted on and then what's the process after that it goes to the shannon and then back to the door that's essentially it yeah so it's obviously important to state now that this is only going to committee stage we know we're not we haven't legalized assisted dying there's no there's no uh, legislation you know that that's been passed or anything like that yet it's still to undergo all these forms of pre-legislative scrutiny so yeah after the committee it's going to go is that the amendments will be voted on if the if the vote passes it will go to the shannon and then it will go back to the doll and then if passes all of those hurdles then the legislation will pass and assisted dying will become law what kind of time frame seems realistic for all of that it's kind of hard to say um gino kenny himself said that you know he expects it to be early spring by the time a committee gets to hear this um, and that will take place over a number of weeks um it could be the end of next year by the time that we have the you know we've had the committee stage votes and then we have the shannon vote and then we have the uh, 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 the final doll vote but you know given given the way parliament works and especially at the moment with uh, uh, covid-19 it's kind of hard to say whether it will be like it could be the end of next year but we could be into 2022 as well Steve, you mentioned a citizens' assembly there. Why didn't we go down that route? Yeah, it was an idea that had been floated. It's such a huge issue that you might want to look at it really, really carefully and have people from the you know the, the everyday population kind of look at it. But it's just really something that's not viable at the moment. You think of getting a hundred people and experts all together in a room right now, and you know, uh, uh, with social distancing and COVID going on, it's probably just not feasible, and it's just easier to deal with it essentially through an Oireachtas committee. People are getting used to holding referendums for kind of these big, I guess, social actions. Um, But we don't need one in this case. Is that correct? Yeah. So I mentioned the Murray Fleming judgment earlier, which was this big landmark Supreme Court ruling that there was no right to die. But in its judgment, the Supreme Court said that we're, you know, the Oireachtas can actually legislate for assisted dying. It doesn't need a referendum. It's not like the Eighth Amendment, which was put into the constitution which gave you know equal right to life to the unborn that the people then have to vote because it's a constitutional amendment that have to vote that out again that is not the case of this piece of legislation the Oireachtas can vote for it now they do have to legislate for it very carefully they have to put you know certain safeguards in place there could be there could be constitutional challenges to what is in the legislation if it has passed and, and if it's not strong enough but yeah there's there's, there's no referendum needed now they, they they could have one if they really 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 wanted to but but um, it's, it's, it's not an essential part of the process at this stage. It would be kind of an indicative thing, maybe in lieu of not having a citizens' assembly, which they had wanted. Yeah, much like uh, much like what's happening in New Zealand at the weekend, you know, where, where 
the legislation is ready to go, but they're just giving the the people a chance to decide on it. That's what could happen here. But it's as I said, it's not needed. I mentioned at the start there, Gino Kenny talking about what will happen at committee, and he said he's looking forward to hearing from um, every stakeholder as well as the general public at committee. What do I guess the people with more experience in this type of care have to say about um, assisted dying? I'm thinking like the Irish Hospice Foundation, doctors, organisations, um, people who you've been talking to. Where what's their general consensus, or is there one? Uh, there really isn't. Um, I think one of the notable things is that uh, from all of the people I've spoken to between advocacy groups and, you know, uh, medical groups and, you know, even kind of academics or ethicists in the area, there's no real consensus. There is wide as a view to go out and canvas opinions kind of on the street. Um, you know, they range from people who were in, you know, in favour of it or looking forward to the debates. So the Irish Hospice Foundation, who you mentioned, they um, said they're welcoming the debate, but that they want people to see a situation where people have dignity in dying. Um, the Irish Palliative Care Association told me that they made a submission to the Oireachtas Committee in 2017 uh, based on a paper they'd drawn up in 2011, so nine years ago, which said that they were opposed to it and that while their ethics committee hadn't you know, met to update their view, uh, they you know that was essentially still their position but other groups like the likes of age action you know the disability federation of ireland the, even the inmo who represent nurses who would you know be part of an assisted dying process and you know in, in a medical setting all said that they wouldn't be in a position to to to, to give me what their views on it were so uh yeah there's, there's kind of a lot of opinions to come um when this committee stage finally gets up and running Thanks, Stevie, for coming in and explaining all of that to us and for your work on the journal over the last few weeks. Obviously, it's a pretty difficult topic, but one that we will all need to grapple with as these conversations start in our public, but also our private lives in the coming months. And if there's anything in this episode that after hearing you feel like you need to talk, support is available. Call Samaritans on 116123 or email them at joe at samaritans.ie. That's jo at samaritans.ie. Thank you for listening to The Explainer and a big thank you to Stevie for his work on this episode and on the journal in terms of the Dying with Dignity bill. If you read the journal, you may have seen our appeal in the past few months for you to support our journalism. It's a difficult time for media as advertising revenues fell drastically during the pandemic, but we are and want to keep providing you with valuable, accessible journalism. Loads of you felt it is important for society to have that open access to news and good information like this podcast and have contributed. A lot of you asked if there was a way you could give more regularly and we now have options for you to become a regular supporter and if this is something you'd like to do please head to thejournal.ie forward slash contribute. This episode of The Explainer was brought to you by executive producer Christine Bowen, producer Aoife Barry and assistant producer and tech operator Nikki Ryan. If you're enjoying these episodes please leave us a review and rating wherever you listen to your podcasts and share with a friend who you think will enjoy them. Thank you and catch you next time.